Psychology in Seattle. Hey, deserving listeners. Today we have Bob back on the podcast to talk about his schemas. So this is going to be part two in which I interview Bob about his schemas and his emotional needs and where he, how he grew up and the schemas he developed and the uh, maladaptive coping styles that he engages in, that all, we all engage in in relation to our schemas, and what he's done in therapy and his own personal work to overcome that, to not fall into certain uh, holes, certain pitfalls, certain uh, situations that are self-destructive and um, uh, deny Bob the ability to get his needs met, which, which we all need. Um, and uh, for those of you who maybe don't know this, but I've been doing a series of episodes on schema therapy. I did. A lot of people have been asking me to do a deep dive on schema therapy. I did that. I didn't really know the model that well, but after doing the deep dive, I discovered that I really liked it and for a lot of reasons, one of which is that it solidifies, so to speak, the way I've been thinking about people for the last you know, 15 years into a understandable model that has uh, a language and a system that is um, kind of f- provides a formula, I guess, for solidifying the thoughts about why people are the way that they are and, and why we all have certain repetitive foibles and repetitive sensitivities. Sort of an accurate description um, of how people are uh, with the basis in attachment. Right. Yeah. And instead of it just being general attachment right. theory, right. it actually tries to describe these different right. kinds of conditions. Right. It also uh, moves away from the regular personality disorder model, which is, uh, which is fine, but it's, it's, it's kind of limited in, in its way as well. And so I, f- I find it to be very helpful. And part of my effort to further my understanding is to interview people about their schemas to get the stories of what it feels like, what it actually is, uh, what the lived experience is of having one of the 18 schemas that are proposed by schema therapy. So uh, let's get into it, Bob. Yeah, let's get into it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Bob? I'm a person with some fucked up schemas. (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we all, yeah. Uh, A therapist in practice here in Seattle and um, your old friend from 100 years ago. And this episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you want to hear this episode as well as hear part one of Bob and all the other interviews that I'm doing with people Mm. about schema therapy. You have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. When you you become a patron, you get access to arguably all of our best episodes. So do so now. Go to patreon.com, become a patron. It's also the way we know that you actually care about this podcast uh, is to become a patron. So please do so. Also, if you're a patron and you email me a question, you're much more likely to have that uh, question answered on, on the air. So become a patron of the podcast. Do it now. All right. Welcome to the podcast zone. 
patrons. Wait, <laughs> welcome to the patron zone podcast, people. Okay, so where we last left off, Bob, and again, I want to thank you for doing this because sure. I think that it's um, illuminating to the listeners. And and as you know, because I forward you a lot of the emails that people send in, they will say, oh, you know, it was great to have an explanation of something, and it's great, Kirk, when you normalize. But when Bob talks about his own life, I feel totally validated because he's a therapist. He knows what he's talking about. He's caring. And the way that he exhibits self-compassion, compassion for others, humility is so inspirational and so real that um, you know it, it just deeply affects people. Thank you. I, I I love those emails. I actually have a file in my email thing called fan mail, and uh, I find them um, um, really validating and um, supportive. And I think the thing I value about your podcast most is um, the genuineness, genuinity, your authenticity. And I want to provide some of my own. I guess is that I don't like I don't like the way I just said that, but um, no, I think it makes sense. Yeah. So, um, because, you know, it's fucking real. It's just all real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking real. Fucking real. It's real stuff. Yeah. People have realness and you're real and I'm real Mm. and we're, um, whole people with happiness and joy and sadness. Um, I recently rewatched the Pixar movie Inside Out. Oh, good one. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. So the first time I saw it, I cried yeah. during the bing bong scene and at the end. Oh, sure. When the girl is hugging her parents and crying. Yeah. The second time I watched it, I cried pretty much the entire movie. Oh, yeah. Because I knew where it was headed. I knew what it was going to land on at the end. Right. And... The even the interactions between joy and sadness. Oh, sure. Was there's all these little subtle things. I mean, it's just uh-huh. such good storytelling. It is. And the the poignancy of the moral, which is sadness is good. Yeah. And sadness signals to one, sadness you need to express it. Sure. But two, sadness signals to other people. Mm-hmm. That you need help. Yes. And without sadness, you're unable to do that. And then all these consequences happen, which is why, you know, joy is trying to suppress sadness. And through that effort of suppression, basically gets rid of sadness and joy. Yeah. Like, okay, great. You got rid of sadness, but you also got rid of joy. Right. And now you have disgust, anger, and fear mm-hmm. running the show. I mean, right. it's, there's so many things about yeah, it. That's that really clever. Are just so clever. Yeah, it's like a hell of a metaphor. Yeah, for how things go with the humans. Yeah, and it, and how yeah. the the more of the story is not to create joy memories. It's like mixture. Yeah. of joy. You know, joy sadness yeah. memory. That's that's now that she's older. Yeah, the, the core memories have joy sadness and. You know, disgust, fear, joy. And yeah. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, great film. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back into your scheme, as we are sort of at the end, um, and we had already gone over 
a bunch uh, just to highlight um, and remind people what we had already done and sort of remind myself. Um, we had talked about, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you had mm-hmm. a schema about that people are undependable, mm-hmm. meaning that you worry that, uh, say, you know, I worry that I, f- I worry that people I feel close to will leave me or abandon me. Mm-hmm. So you have that schema due to people being undependable when you're growing up. Mm. You, uh, I think, also had the schema of it's only a matter of time before someone betrays me or hurts mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So that's a mistrust schema of just like you can't you can't really trust people because yeah. life showed me early on. Right. The other schema of people don't care about me, um, you know, I, I haven't gotten enough love and nurturance from other people in my life, that schema. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when you don't get enough love and, a, and attention growing up, you have to develop a schema to cope with that. Of just like, um, well, stop believing that you can get it. You know, you'd have to understand that you're not going to get it. Lower yeah. your expectations mm-hmm. of other people. Um, and, and and that this leads to maladaptive coping, which is like avoidance of relationships yeah. and that kind of thing. Right. And then the one that you had in spades was I'm defective. Like mm. there's something about me that is inherently flawed. Um, right. You had, you had that schema. Yeah. And again, because of the messages that you had growing up. Um, so those were some of the main the main schemas that that you had, right? Uh, let's see. So getting to the one that we left off on number fourteen, I want to say is that fifteen? Fifteen, good yeah. memory. Uh, so this is the one that's according to schema therapy is called negativity pessimism, mm. and I'm calling it bad things always happen. Oh, good title. So, so tell me if you agree with any of these statements or not. Sure. If something good happens, I usually worry that something bad will follow. No. People consider me to be a careful person. Yes. I often worry about finances. Oh, wow. You know, Colleen calls it looking at porn the way I am with money. Because I like, I you know the way other people like look at their baseball cards? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of look at my, my finances that way, you know, like, but I think it is fear-based. Yeah. Okay. But I don't necessarily, when I look at that shit, I don't experience fear. Sometimes I experience sort of like relief, but it is, it really is anxious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I often worry about making wrong decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I often obsess over minor decisions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, tell me about that one. Oh, um, um, oh, uh, my wallet. My wallet. Right. My wallet was falling apart. I really like my wallet. Colleen gave it to me whenever we got married, but you know, 10 years and they wear out. Right. So I decided to get a different wallet. I get one of these little minimal wallets. It's like the size of a credit card, you know, but you just stuff stuff in it. It's got elastic bands or whatever. I spent an entire fucking week looking at all the different kinds of wallets that are like that and this and that and this and that. Da, 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 da. It took me literally every night for about two hours a night or longer for a week. I looked at fucking wallets before I finally picked one. That shit happens to me all the time. Is that a problem? Is it is it obsessive, or yeah. is it is it just like, well, you know, I just I like to do this. It's both. 
Yeah. I think I'm afraid to pull the trigger on things. Oh, because it's fear. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I do like re- research, I guess that's the way to put it. But I, I think it is um, fear-based. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning that you're worried if you make the wrong choice. Yeah, wrong choice. Like something, that's a really bad thing that happens. Right. Always, oh, what about the road not taken kind of thing? Like, oh, God, what if I choose this one? Yeah. And there's a better one. Right. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't so far so good with the wallet. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, people consider me to be pessimistic. I, I I don't know. What do you think? Am I? Do I? How do you consider me? No. No. Huh. Uh, no. I don't consider you to be pessimistic at all. I wouldn't call you particularly optimistic. No, I wouldn't call me that either. But I would call you average in terms yeah. of the. And but I would. I don't think I've ever experienced any sort of pessimism yeah. in terms of like life choices or that kind of thing. I think I'm uh, overly self-deprecating and I can act, act in a dismissive way. My therapist got irritated with me about two months ago. He was saying something kind to me as a compliment. I don't remember what it was. And I blew him off. And I think what it is is I get anxious about that shit and um, I think I can be um, dismissive and pessimistic. And I think that actually is a turnoff. You know, people want to be appreciated when they say something kind to you. They want to, you know, thank you, or thank you for saying that, or I really appreciate it, or wow, that feels really good, or something. And right. me, I go the other way. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it, it's off-putting. So I don't know if that um, makes makes me seem pessimistic. I think it could. Pessimistic about maybe who you are yeah, or something, that. But, but not about like life. No, no, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm particularly optimistic, but no, not especially cynical or pessimistic. Yeah. I think the main thing that people are looking for when they give a compliment is that it actually, um, warms your heart in yes, some way. They want to uh, know. The, the thank you is, is fine. Yeah. But what, when someone actually, because to compliment is to extend yourself. Yes, it is. It is. It's vulnerable to compliment somebody. It is. And the hope is like, okay, well, if I'm going to push past this this fear of mine, right, and I'm going to be courageous and actually compliment this person, I really want it to benefit them. That's why I'm doing it. Right. I want them to take it to heart and right. be like, oh wow, I thank you for thinking that's great. Or, right. Uh, I didn't know you saw that about me. That, I, that's interesting. Or that's I'm glad you see it that way. Yeah. They wanted to get in there, and so uh, to push back yeah. is to, you know, slap someone right. in the face as they're trying to give you something. Essentially, you know? right? It is. Even though from your point of view, you're just you're probably thinking, well, it's impolite to yeah. b- to boast. Yeah. Let's be modest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also uh, impolite or. You don't want to be a bother right. to someone who's like, oh, don't worry about me. You know, don't, you don't have to compliment me. Right. I'm okay. Right. You know, when uh, in reality, we should all be doing that a lot. Have you ever, side note, done this with clients where you've actually worked on oh, yeah. that whole compliment giving, taking process? Yes. What kind of stuff do you do? Well, in, in class, uh, we, uh, we uh, in the DBT class, sometimes what we'll do is we'll, uh, you turn to the person on your left and you have to say something true but complimentary to them and they have to say thank you because everybody's uncomfortable with compliments. What happens when you have them do it? Um, I think people get embarrassed. I think they can... They don't act dismissively necessarily on the outside because we're doing an exercise, but I think it's hard for them to, t- to take it in. 
Um, so I think it makes them feel, you know, a bit anxious and a bit ashamed. Um, and I think like all compliments, it feels good too in the secret in place. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that it can be a profoundly deep uh, emotional process for people. Yeah. It's amazing how many of us are walking around in a state of feeling as though no one really thinks well of us. Right. And how little we actually do take the time to appreciate other people. Yeah. And how deep it is to us. You know, we, we like to think of ourselves as adults and we don't need praise. Oh, yeah, to, that. To a five-year-old, people intuit, like, because five-year-olds wear it on their sleeve. Uh-huh. They're like, I drew a picture. Yeah. Look what I drew. Uh-huh. And you get the sense like, whoa, like this, this kid really thinks this is good uh-huh. and is looking for some kind of confirmation that it's amazing. I don't think it's a very good picture, but I, I feel very compelled to compliment this kid. Hell yes. It's a very common dynamic with kids. And, yeah. and you'll be like, wow, what an amazing picture. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, they won't say thank you. They'll just go run off. Uh, look at me. I can jump. Yeah. And you're like, uh, kid, you're, you, you're barely jumping. You're, in fact, one of your feet is touching the ground as, right. as you're quote unquote jumping. Right. But you get the sense like, man, this kid really needs compliment. Uh-huh. It's normal. We don't graduate to a, a to another state of being as <laughs> as humans where we no longer need that. Yeah, right. We absolutely do. And it's a it's a human need yeah. and so yeah, I found that when we uh open that door for our clients or for anybody that it can it can just be massively therapeutic. Yeah. The other thing is that I don't know about you, but there are some compliments that I won't ever forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're in the patron zone. I can talk about this. My d- dad one time was talking with my wife, I believe, and she came to me. This was years ago. Came to me afterwards and said. Yeah, you know, I can't remember how it came up, but she was like, "Yeah, you know, your dad said that um, he uh, he was complimenting you," and I was like, "Oh, what did he say?" Mm-hmm. And, and she said, "Well, he was saying that you're you're not afraid to do things that you're not good at, or something like that." Mm. And I took that as a very high compliment. Oh, that's a big deal. And and it's an accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, statement that's true about me and i've never heard anyone ever say that and i mm-hmm. and it's just nice to know that your dad's sort of paying attention right to that kind of stuff right and w- every once in a while i just recall that even though it wasn't dr- to be directly which is very japanese mm. uh but it you know got back to me which mm-hmm. is which i appreciate mm-hmm. and it and it's so accurate about me because i mean part of it's narcissism of just like i can do anything but Another part of it is just like uh, <laughs> another part of it is that I I guess I could say this if I'm going to live in this zone of I, I am a bit fearless about doing things and I'm also well I'm not fearless I'm just like well I'm going to be dead soon yeah. so 
why the fuck am I going to be hindered by by fear? Right. Like worst case scenario uh, is not that bad. Like starting the podcast, for example, right. was a pretty massive leap for me. Yeah. I had no training. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never right. done anything like it before, really. Mm-hmm. And why did I think this would work out? You know? Yeah. Why? Why did I even try? Yeah. It was tremendous amount of effort, and we were not good in the beginning, mm-hmm. and no one was listening in the beginning. Sure. What was the point? Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm talking like for years, no one was listening, mm-hmm. you know? So this part of me of just like, uh, well, I'm afraid of, of failing. I'm afraid of wasting my time. But worst case scenario, everyone thinks it's stupid and I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the power of these compliments, yeah. I think, is, is very important to point out. Anyway, so getting back to your schema. Oh, sure. Well, no, let's stick with the compliments thing a little bit longer. I can remember compliments that you've told me. Like, oh. the, like over the years, like little things that you've said about me, I, I'll remember them and hmm. and recall them. Oh, you know, uh, do you remember any compliments that I've given you? Uh, oh shit! Now I'm on the spot. Um, or, do, or do you know maybe what's in my head positive about you? No. Um, I should. I mean, well, I've known I'll, each I'll other tell for you. Half your half our lives. Perhaps the warmest person I know. Oh. Uh, you're incredibly smart. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm quite positive if I actually did an IQ test with you, you would be in the 99 percentile. I can, mm. And I'm not joking. Like, I could, mm. I could tell that about you. Mm. Um, you care about the important parts of life. You're not frivolous. Um, you don't have a lot of frivolous kinds of efforts in life, you know. Mm. Um, thank you. You're, you've always been a model for me, like from the beginning, like of someone who is further down the road of um, emotional maturity or something or, or vulnerability, you know, of vulnerability. And, uh, and mm. I've always looked up to you because of that you know things that i there are things that i say i've known you for so long well, yeah. there are things that i say and do as a human and i guess as a therapist that i will sometimes directly say oh that's you're doing a bob thing right now yeah. which I, I i know is me but i it's just like oh you wouldn't be doing that if bob hadn't modeled that for you mm. um so thank you, you. Know, i've have i said these things to you before yeah you have okay yeah yeah it's funny you know um I could say a lot of the same stuff about you. I've always looked up to you, um, in part because of your fearlessness. Hmm. Is it okay that I'm telling you this? Yeah. Is it dismissive of um, the kind things you just said about me? No. Oh, okay. I mean, you were starting to cry, so I, I know it got in, into your heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I th- I've said this probably on the podcast. I know I've thought it a million times. Is You're a really important person to me. You're a really important friend. In in large part because of your fearlessness, um, um, you know me. I can be very self conscious about lots of things, and um, uh, one of the great meanings to me of knowing you is having a model of um, courage. Hmm. Except the thing about you is I don't think the things that I would call courageous in you, you would particularly think of courageous. You're just being you. Hmm. And um, 
that is one of the things I have most appreciated about mm. knowing you is watching you be you without, um, you know, me, I'm so fucking self-conscious and so like buttoned up in lots of ways that I, I have directly benefited from that. And I've actually, I've needed that in order to be able to function more maturely and really even just show up, particularly in my romantic relationships. How? Uh, well, um, I don't know if I could say how without either divulging too much about oh. me or you. Well, yeah. So I remember you saying this early on in our relationship, and it never occurred to me that that was a thing. Mm. Uh, and, You're right. And it makes sense that it wouldn't. Yeah. And and over the years, I've gotten to know that about me and you, I guess, mm. um, and is a you know really high compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, I credit my parents for all that really? <laughs> in terms of allowing me to be who I was mm-hmm. and being ext- my mom particularly being extremely comp- maybe overly complimentary at times oh. but extremely my mom is um very good with kids mm-hmm. she had a daycare mm-hmm. and knew how and kids loved her but and they followed her rules you know it it was my mom is my mom actually started out she wanted to be a a child psychiatrist or a child psychologist oh i didn't know that yeah but then she got pregnant um Mm -hmm. halfway through her freshman year at wazoo oh so that came to an end and then she was in the 60s so it it wasn't like uh, back then women had the same opportunities or that kind of thing right um and so I I attribute all that kind of ease that I have with with that mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had the privilege of being male and being right. being tall and right. being athletic, and so when I would try things, things usually worked out well, even though I wasn't trying that hard. And so I've just had this track record of yeah. of succeeding on some level, and and so um, it. Uh, it it helps, but but in sort of relation to you, of just like oh, interesting that f- it, as you watch that in me, it it helps you, and it's interesting because I only know you in relation to me. I don't know you really in relation to other people, of course. And so I see you as a courageous person too. But what you've told me is that in my presence, you become courageous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually, can, without going into details of some of the stories, you, if you are one of the most courageous people I've ever met, I mean, like there are things that you, we used to do back in the day yeah. that I was just like, my God, that guy has, has balls. Like, uh, and I would just sort of encourage you or push oh, you yeah. or something. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so for you to say like, that my courage somehow helps you is just like, huh? Like, yeah. man, you, you're a courageous fella, but, mm. but maybe with other people, you don't really have that kind Probably of, not, kind not of nearly thing. as much. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I've really grown to appreciate, cause you know, being a therapist is kind of weird. You're by yourself most of the time yeah. you're with your client. And so you don't really have, it's not like if you, um, you, you don't share, uh, work the way you do I I think a person would in another kind of profession mm. so 
we don't really know each other except by our sense of feel. But when we're on the podcast together and I get to listen to you and watch you, I get a sense of who you are as a therapist, you know, which is really just an extension of who you are as a human. Um, and the thing that I've really um, enjoyed and have um, emu- uh, want to emulate, I guess, is at least at least that, um, is how um, how articulate you are and how um, you, uh, what's the word? You have a non-pejorative, non-disordering, um, uh, you have a, an affirming sense of how people are and why they are the way they are mm. without thinking about things in terms of pathology. Mm. Like in front, the schema stuff that we're talking about today, it really does fit with what I've noticed about how you see the world. And so you can talk very articulately about the troubles, the troubles that people have. And you talk about the troubles that people have that other people in our field do um, um, see as, you know, bad or wrong. And it's weird that therapist types actually think of, you know, psych- if it's okay to use this word, psychopathology as bad or wrong, but they do. There's a tremendous amount of prejudice about the things that people actually just show up for therapy for. But not for you. You, you, um, very affirming. I, I, that's been really uh, good for me. It's in line with my own view of things. But I think um, listening to you has helped me um, deepen my sense of what it is to be a person. Well, that's great. Uh, it's one of the best compliments someone could ever tell me. Oh is, shit. Because um, I have, I as you know, I have a critical side. I have a critical demon. And a judgmental demon, mm-hmm. and uh, it is not the core of me, no. and I don't want it to be a part of me at all. Mm. And um, so I'm glad that 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 really comes across. It really comes across um, because I I deserve that point of view, and I feel like everyone else does as well. Yeah, you know. Um, mm-hmm. just to talk a little bit about because. Uh, this is similar to me and Umberto and Umberto, I don't know if he can have this kind of conversation with me, but there's something, you know, you and I have been in a friendship for a long time. Long time. We, we've had, we've had uh, frivolous conversations and, and uh, maybe some occasional conflictual ones, um, minor conflictual ones or something and catching up conversations, fun conversations and, and some deep conversations. Mm-hmm. But there's something about podcasting mm-hmm. that, uh, I think is is really quite unique. Yeah, and it's to people listening that they, they might be like, "Well, this is how Kirk and Bob talk all the time," and it's it really isn't. It isn't. And it just occurred to me as you were saying, like that in podcasting with me, you suddenly now see, like, well, maybe that's how Kirk is as a therapist, uh-huh. and you're seeing a different version of me or something. Yeah, which I, I'd never have time to reflect on because I'm in this constant like. Um, sort of thought process as I'm producing a podcast. I never, I don't have a lot of time to think about, but now that we're doing it right now, it's just interesting to think about how right now we're eye to eye. We are. We're, we'll do that for hours, just staring into each other's eyes. Um, and we have to keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. And we are, we have, you know, at least one eye on making sure that the listeners are, entertained or informed or something you know yeah. it's, it's not just we can't you know because in regular conversation you can be distracted you could look at your phone right. and 
you know, your friend could be like, oh, well, he's looking at his phone. No big deal. We can't do that here. We can't, we can't be distracted. We can't, I can't go to the kitchen and, you know, get this or that. Um, our phones are off. We're staring into each other's eyes. Yeah. And it's, and it, particularly if it's about, well, really just any topic. Cause mm-hmm. so when I think about being, cause I have much more experience with Umberto, we could be talking about a movie and, and we talk about movies off air as well, mm-hmm. and, but it's it's so much more disjointed on some level. Like there's, like I said, there's distractions. There's um, a little less effort listening to the yeah. other person. Yeah, yeah, which breaks my heart to think about. Uh, but but regardless of all that, you know, having this opportunity to just really listen. And stare into uh, someone's eyes, yeah. And especially if you're getting into some deeper material, which I think the podcast provides a much more sort of natural venue for for you and I to do that, and right. for me and Alberto as well. Right. Uh, what do you think about all that? Um, I, I, it's kind of, um, yeah. You know, like uh, we've gotten some emails from people who like. These guys got a great bromance, I think is what somebody said once, you know, and um, I wish I had a friend like like the way Kirk and Bob are. And it's funny, we aren't, we don't talk like this. We don't talk nearly so intimately or um, I don't think either of us says anything here that we don't actually think or feel, but we have a forum for which to actually talk about this stuff. And, you know, it's because of this format, the it's psychology. So that's where we're at, you know, and that's kind of our thing. But, but when we're getting together, it's like, we're talking, you know, beers and football and, um, hanging out and, um, you know, there's some ball busting and there's, uh, uh, card playing and it's fun. Yeah. Right? And, and I love those things. Those, those are great. Yeah. Uh, uh, you owe me 12 bucks actually. Yeah. You probably remember. I got. I that do thing. remember. How did Penn State do this past weekend? They were. They had a bye, so they're oh, playing right. Friday. Playing that's Maryland right. on Friday. Yeah. So bad things will always happen. It seems like you have this at least halfway. Um, like you, you worry about finances. Yeah. You worry about making wrong decisions. You obsess over minor decisions. Yeah. Uh, you're not pessimistic. Not particularly. No. So I don't know. I think you don't really have this one. I think you just have the elements of this schema that are more related to just general anxiety yeah. than to pessimism. Like, like, do you believe like, like a classic pessimistic or negative, negativistic yeah. uh, s- sort of notion is like when anything good happens, you worry, Oh, that's going to be followed by a bad thing. No, I don't think that way. Yeah. So have you ever met anyone like that before? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a interesting difference. It, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's sort of like, I, the way I think about it is, well, yeah, bad things are going to happen because, you know, bad things happen. It has nothing to do with the good things happening. But right. in general, like, like like climate change is a really fucking scary thing. But somehow in my heart, I think, well, yeah, it's going to fuck us up and we're going to figure out something and survive it and keep going and whatever it is. Right. And so, is it good? No. Right. No, it's not good. But we'll we'll adapt to that. Right. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying we should not do anything. No, no. I, I, and I'm very worried that a lot of people, particularly uh, marginalized people, unprivileged people, are going to suffer greatly. Oh, yeah. But are. at the same time, I'm not like uh, civilization is going to end. No. Um, I, I, I think, although it could, I, I'll be dead before it happens, I'm guessing. But 
Um, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a I litmus test kind of, of like, yeah. uh, in terms of whether or not you have the schema. Essentially, right. when we're going up, we have a need for stability, a need for um, optimism. Maybe if if we have a uh, childhood where our circumstances teach us that bad things randomly happen. Oh yeah, like if your family suddenly moves a lot right like a military family right and they don't really prepare you for that right and sometimes you could say it's really impossible to prepare a kid for that well right then you start to develop this negativistic attitude of just like well i'm I'm making a friend at school but this this the last three times this happened right this was a disaster right um and so you just learn like okay i have to actually teach myself yeah that the world is negative and that when any, anything good happens, it's it always is followed by a bad thing. Right. So I need to um, remember that so I'm not blindsided, blind, blindsided by right. the negative thing. And so I need to always remind myself, by the way, bad things always happen. Right. And uh, it doesn't seem like you really have that. No, I don't think that way. Yeah. Uh, 16, I must control myself. Hmm. Um, I worry about losing control of my actions. Um, I don't think so. What's that mean, though? Do you know? Like, if you... For for people with this schema, they can be very uptight, and they want to control their behavior and their, oh, and their emotions. Right, the over-control kind of thing. Because they're yeah. worried that if right. they express themselves or do things spontaneously, right. that something bad is going to happen. I don't think I particularly have that. Okay. More than... I mean, I think everybody has that a little bit, but yeah. No. I wouldn't say net. Okay. 17, this is perfectionism. I must be perfect or else. Do you agree with any of these? I'm a perfectionist. I have that in me, yeah. I often push myself to do the best I can do. Yeah. It's really hard for me to be seen as average. Yeah. I like things to be orderly. Oh, good question. Let's see. Do I like things? No, I don't think I'm particularly orderly. Colleen would say I'm definitely not orderly. <laughs> I get stressed out when I don't look my best. <laughs> Dude, I don't even pick my own clothes. <laughs> I have no idea how I look. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there are different aspects of perfectionism. Uh, some people manifest it through their looks. Yeah. And their house and their things, and some people um, manifest it through their actions. And oh, I'd say probably in my actions, I have a bit of that in me. Okay, yeah. I feel a lot of pressure to achieve things. Um, that's a good question. Sometimes, if I take on a responsibility, I will meet that responsibility at almost any cost. Mm. Yeah, I think so. My life sometimes suffers due to the pressure I put on myself. Yeah, sometimes. Whenever I have free time, I think about what I should be doing to achieve one of my goals. Well, I think about what I should be doing. I don't know if I get so far as because this is a goal of mine. But I think, you know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, we just have a certain amount of guilt. So, uh, you know... Um, I think it's hard to relax. Okay. Yeah. It's really hard for me when I make a mistake. Yeah, it is hard. 
So tell me about this one, because I don't think I know this about you. Oh, mortifying when I fuck up. Like all these things, you know, that I've been talking about. Like, oh, uh-huh. like yeah, mortifying when you fuck up, yeah. worried about making sure you're not average, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's not a thing I would ever be, like, overt about. I'm not a particularly ostentatious person, and I'm not a particularly, I don't try to be conspicuous. So, like, you know, I drive a smart car, right? Like, my car is definitely an extension of my need for transportation. <laughs> that's about it, right? Yeah. So, I don't, I'm not interested in being noticed and conspicuous in any kind of material way. In fact, that really bothers me. But uh, what was the question again? What is it like to live with this sort of perfectionism? Yeah. This sort of anxiety, I guess. Yeah. I remember um, I was teaching myself how to um, solder copper pipe for a bathroom remodel at home. I wanted to make Colleen this bathroom, and I, I'm, you know, there's a learning curve. So I'm learning how to do this. <laughs> um, so there's torches and there's heat and it's next to wood and it's not going very well. And I can't even tell if it's going very well. And I have to kind of stop and redo and stop and redo. And everything takes five forevers. And I got so angry, so, so, so angry. And I don't think I've said the word fuck so many times and um, actually quite loudly. And um, I was... I was audible from other parts of the house, which is, of course, is really embarrassing. But what I remember about that is, and I don't know if I ever told her this, is what I wanted so much was for her to tell me, it's okay if you make a mistake, mm. because it isn't okay. And then when we got to the, the what do you do with the t- grout? We did grout. I fucked up on the grout and just had a meltdown. And um, if I don't get it right, it's like totally unokay. Interesting. Yeah. So the different coping with this, or yeah. well, let's go back to the beginning. So we have a need to, well, what emotional need do you think is at the core of that? Like being good enough or- Yeah, being, acceptance. Being, being accepted. Yeah. And when you're not given acceptance growing up, then you might uh, resort to, so the, the process is like unconsciously, yeah. you're five, you're 10, you're like, I'm not getting enough acceptance mm-hmm. and I, I have a need to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. To be like, am I okay? Mm-hmm. Am I doing the right thing here? And, you know, some indication, and and you might even be getting overt messages that you're not okay. Mm-hmm. Like you are a fuck up. Mm. What's wrong with you? There's a bit of that. And the unconscious develops this schema around, you know, I, I oh, oh well. So so then the second part of it is, well, it seems like sometimes when I'm when I'm doing things just right. And it's so perfect. It's mm-hmm. like beyond criticism. Mm-hmm. I will get a little bit of praise, mm-hmm. maybe every once in a while, maybe all the time. But it's it's some indication like, oh, when I am absolutely flawless, mm-hmm. when I get straight A's, when my room is a, you know totally meticulous, right. when I don't uh, screw up the way I talk or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Sure. And I get, I, ooh, I got a little nugget of appreciation. Right. So in order to get that need met that I can't get normally, I really have to clamp down and force myself to be perfect. Like, yeah. do not accept imperfection. Right. Because imperfection means no appreciation, no love, no acceptance. Yeah. Being perfect doesn't get you all the acceptance you need, but it gets you something. Yeah. 
and then you grow up and it just becomes this automatic personality trait of, yeah. of when there's a when there's something a little out of line grout sweating pipes <laughs> it's it's a it feels bad to anybody but there's a a floor that drops under out from underneath us mm. because it's not just like I'm frustrated I'm wasting my time I, I you know this is frustrating yeah it's I'm not going to I'm not going to get the love and attention I yeah. I need. Yeah. Like I'm going to I'm going to be rejected. Yeah. It's it's a felt sense of yeah, I'm oh, gonna, I'm going to be thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And you can't articulate that right. but it you get you express it through the emotions of, you know, throwing the the torch or yeah. um giving up on the grout. Yeah, or or the swearing and I think actually sometimes for me it's I throw myself to the wolves sort of like the preemptive Mm. The preemptive, I'm so terrible, I'm so unacceptable, I'm so, you know. Do you believe that in the moment? Yeah, I do. Wow. Yeah. Because it ties into other schemas of just like being not good enough. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the different coping, we have surrender, avoidance, overcompensation. Surrender examples are, in our adult life, are to spend excessive time trying to achieve things and to really making sure that you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you do that? Um, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I do. Does that play into the wallet buying too? Yeah, I think so. The avoidance would be to avoid situations that involve being judged by others. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you do that? Is there something you've avoided recently? Oh, let's see. What have I avoided recently? I was at a training, uh, up in Toronto a couple weeks ago and which I want to get into in another episode by the way yeah that was a good training oh you'd like that it was like honestly god I kept thinking oh this is this the holodeck on Star Trek this whole training it's just the holodeck on Star Trek the whole thing huh. yeah anyways um, I avoided asking questions or making comments in public um, you know there's like 28 other students in the room um, and I made one comment the teacher she showed us a video clip of a session she had with the client and there was a particularly astute validation and i said oh wow that was a really good catch like i think i admire good psychotherapy i just like admire it you know and i thought oh god i just sound like a pompous asshole like i'm better than the teacher oh you had a very good catch there teacher and i think she probably appreciated my recognition of that because it was subtle and it was fast yeah um and but i just worried like oh my god i sound like a dick I sound like this superior dick. So, and that tied into your perfectionism of trying to yeah. please or something. Yeah, not not appear um, full of myself. I think I, I, that's not exactly perfectionism. Mostly, I think where I started was I avoided saying things because I didn't want to appear. I know how you avoid. I know enough about you. Oh yeah, what do I do? Well, your novel and your pop up book. Oh yeah, my pop up book. <laughs> So, so let's get into that. Oh, shit. Here we go. And your novel. Yeah, okay. So Bob, years ago, made a Kama Sutra pop-up book. Yeah. It was a whimsical take on the Kama You know, a lot of people have Kama Sutra books, yeah. and you flip through it, and you're like, oh, that, you know, and there's this particular style so of, of the art. art. Artwork is usually two-dimensional and flat, and it's interesting, though. It's Yeah. yeah. And so Bob decided to make a like a twenty page yeah. uh, pop up book mm-hmm. for Kama Sutra positions. Yeah, and it was elaborate. Yeah, it was the so he he um, translated these two dimensional art pieces into these three dimensional art pieces where you know you have the 
the background with that looks like they're in a tent yeah. with like tapestries. Yeah, in the back. yeah, that's right. And then if they're doing some kind of like standing on one leg <laughs> while insertion is happening, <laughs> right. you would have them do that. And then they'd, you'd pull a little thing and they could go in and out. They'd move, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there'd be other things on the side like maybe some monkeys going up and down some trees or something. Like it was elaborate. It was a big book. And you drew it. This is before computers were really useful. Yeah. So you drew it on a computer. You had this big table with all these like exacto knives yeah, and, yeah. and you had to get the right paper and yeah. you, you did all these uh, and you actually made a, um, a, what do you call it? A, a sample, a, a sample, a prototype. Yeah for the publishers to run with it. They'd, mm-hmm. ha- they'd take it and they would figure out a way to, to mass produce did, it. Did they want to make this or not? Yeah. Yeah, they want to buy it. And to do something like that, you kind of have to be a perfectionist. Oh, yeah. Because there's, there's, there's so many details. Mm-hmm. There's so many little things. Like, I'm, I'm guessing, like, because you you'd have to make the art yeah. and then you'd have to cut it out. Cut it. Mm-hmm. And then it'd have to fit somehow later on. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you did that several times oh, yeah, before yeah. it actually worked. Oh, yeah. Um, but then getting to your novel. Mm. So Bob wrote a novel about a person who was in therapy, and it's uh, – I can't really describe it. It's, it's a little sci-fi. But a little bit. it is a very interesting book with – a very interesting, it, you know, sort of a Palinic sort of style. I'm not a literary person, but it has that kind of wow, in, that's inner, high inner monologue um, realness or I don't know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. A yeah. lot of that. And Bob worked on this book for a long time. Mm. He's a good writer, but you would you would go back, you would edit it. Okay. You're not You're not just like a free-form novelist where you just sort of, write it haphazardly and it's done it's just like well I want to rework that I mm-hmm. want to rework that yeah and you probably started that book 10 years ago or yeah, something yeah it's about 10 years and it was like okay well eventually this thing's going to get going to get published you know and cuz it was I don't know how many words how many words did you write I wrote 600,000 words 600,000 words yeah. what is that like a 200 300 page book or something oh no it's about a thousand pages thousand it's it's like you know shogun style it's yeah, like this it's, ginormous like lord yeah. of the rings yeah. kind of uh all three books you know mm. crammed into one right kind of yeah kind of like yeah big and well. it was well written it had a full story mm. it was interesting and mm. and but you never like actually I stalled published it i never actually finished it that could be, in my estimation, yeah. related to perfectionism. I, I agree. It is totally related to perfectionism. How so? Um, got to get it right, got to get it right, got to get it right. And so I feel stuck. And the perfectionism will suck all the joy out. That actually, that was such a fun experience of just sitting and writing. I really enjoyed it until um, something changed and it started to matter. And it wasn't about fun anymore. It wasn't about just exploring and creativity and you know it became about a goal and was it because you're almost at the end and you're thinking people are going to start critiquing this yeah i think so and they're going to start saying thumbs up thumbs down right and that was anxiety provoking yeah yeah right so the coping mechanism that actually schema therapy one of the things they say is through avoidance yeah people will just procrastinate i procrastinate or, or they'll get stuck. Yeah, stuck. And this is one of the things that uh, kind of drives me nuts is that 
people will often ask me to talk about procrastination or, the, or, the, or, or they'll talk about procrastination in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a procrastinator. No, you're not. I, I'm, a, I'm a perfectionist, but so I did a whole deep dive on perfectionism. And the key to perfectionism isn't perfectionism, it's self-esteem. Mm. If you have good self-esteem and you're a perfectionist, then you essentially just become like a high achiever who's energetic and does a lot of projects. Right. And maybe you're a little annoyingly meticulous, but you get things done. Yeah. Um, like just an example for me, when I, for the first, I don't know, seven or eight years of the podcast, I would meticulously edit the entire episode. I right. would take out all the ums. I would take out all the pauses. I would fix any any glitch in the audio. I'm at the point now where I can produce it so well while we're doing it that I don't actually have to go back and do it. I don't say um as much anymore. Right. I don't uh, say you know as much anymore. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't need to. But back then, so I'm still a perfectionist. Sure. But like I actually did a recent episode with someone over, over online communication, like Skype. It's called Zoom. And there were a lot of little glitches. And a lot of people, they would just release it. But I'm such a perfectionist that I went back. So, but I have the self-esteem to sort of keep me going, which is like, well, this will work out. Yeah. Like, do what you can. It's not going to be perfect, perfect. But be meticulous and, and get your rocks off in that way because you really love things to be just right. Yeah. And, that, and the things will work out. For someone who has low self-esteem in general – the perfectionism kicks in like you, you gotta you, things need to be perfect and then this low self-esteem voice comes in and says and you're never gonna achieve it mm-hmm. you're it's it's not gonna work mm-hmm. you need it to be perfect and you're incapable of making it perfect mm-hmm. and so that's when that kicks in of just like well what choice do i have other than to just give up yeah and then people say oh, i'm procrastinating why am I procrastinating? I'm such a procrastinator. I need to have willpower. I need to not be lazy. Why yeah. am I so lazy? And it's like, no, no, no. It's not laziness. Mm-mm. It's this voice in your head that says, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to combat that and give yourself grace and actually take care of yourself, have self-compassion, reach out to other people, really absorb good compliments that, wait, I don't suck? Yeah. Or just say, I don't care if I suck. Yeah. Like, I need to not care. Let's say everyone hates it. Do what, Worst case scenario, you publish the book. Everyone universally hates it. You know. Right. We'll be dead in 50 years. That's it won't true. matter. You right. know. So, uh, and it's not going to be that way. You know that it's not going to be that Probably way. Probably not. That'd be the worst, worst case. Yeah. It's like, a, it's insane. But that's what the, that's the, what the voice, voice says. says. Yeah. Um, or another voice is like, if people hate it, I will be destroyed by that hatred. Right. And you know, cognitively. It's cognitively. Like, well, okay, let's say half half of people on Amazon think it's the dumbest thing they've ever read. Well, right. I've thought some books were done before. It's, sure. It's okay, as long as some people, you're finding my audience, you know. Yeah, right. Um, like this podcast uh, routinely gets negative reviews on iTunes. Yeah. Um, and I'm always like, okay, not for you. I, I assume 99% of the population would not want to listen to this podcast because it's, it's a pretty niche sort of thing. Yeah, right. The topic, the way we talk about things. And I'm cool with people not liking the podcast. 
um, why did you listen in the first place, and why did you take the time out to give me a bad review? Need <laughs> <laughs> a hobby. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's fine. But um, and by the way, if you're listening out there and you haven't reviewed us on iTunes, I, I I've been talking about this more recently, but um, I actually got a Google alert because someone actually mentioned my name in a review. Because oh. um, as a therapist, by the way, tip for therapists out there, and I recommend this to you too, is to sure. set up a Google alert with your name in quotes. So, you know, quote Bob Gettle, unquote. Um, and you'll get notifications in your email every time you're mentioned online. Oh, wow. Um, like, is there another Bob Gettle in the world? I, I don't think so. The way you spell it, you yeah. know what I mean? And it's just a good idea as a therapist to know, like, what's, being said about you on the internet. Okay. So that you can, like one time I've talked about this on podcasts before. I got a Google alert saying that, um, Kirk Honda was on this one site. So I clicked on it and it was this porn site Mm. and I can't remember the details, but someone essentially had just made up my name randomly or, or they knew my name and used it. I don't know, but whatever reason it wasn't, because there's another Kirk Honda who lives in California, and he's younger than me, and it wasn't him. Or maybe it was him. I don't know. But someone was using my exact name yeah. on a porn site, and I messaged him, and I was just like, dude, you're using my name. Yeah. That's my name. So yeah. if you, I don't know who you are, but if you could just change your your name, like that, like you could be Kirk something else. You could be something else, Honda, but not Kirk Honda. Yeah. And don't be Kirk Honda 69, you know, like <laughs> change the whole thing. And he changed it. Oh, good. They, whoever they were, because, you know, if someone Googled you and found you, right. they'd, they'd wonder like, is that, is that right. my therapist? Right. Right. Um, and it's just some guy who likes Star Trek and Hondas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, incidentally, there's this, there's this uh, moto, motocross or uh, some kind of racing driver or or motorcycle off-road racer. Really? His name is Dennis Kirk. So it's common to have Kirk as your last name. Sure. And he rides Hondas. Because you know how, like, they always... Sure. Like, if you're riding a motorcycle, it's like you're a Kawasaki guy. You're, right, right. And so I get a lot of Google notifications for Dennis Kirk Honda because he rides Hondas. Right. And they often will follow in these racetrack things. Anyway, is it annoying? It is kind of annoying to yeah. me. Anyway, so I got a I got a Google alert saying that I was on iTunes. I looked at iTunes and I was like, oh, I don't think a lot of our listeners actually review us on iTunes. So please review us on iTunes um, and satisfy my perfectionism. Anyway, <laughs> so so the last uh, way of coping with perfectionism is overcompensation. Mm-hmm. This is when people do things in a haphazard manner as a way of sort of denying the fact that they're a perfectionist. Oh, yeah. Do you ever do that? No. Okay. No. So the last schema here is we must all be held responsible for our mistakes and be punished. They call this punitiveness in the schema therapy. So tell me if you agree with any of these. Mm. My past mistakes often pop into my head and I then feel bad. Oh, yeah. If I make a mistake, I deserve to be punished. Sometimes. People who make negligent mistakes should get punished in some way. No, I I don't, no, no. People often make excuses instead of owning up to their negligent mistakes. Oh, hell yeah. It, and it bothers me. Um, Yeah, that does bother me. Okay. Yeah. I should add that. And it bothers me. I often find myself thinking about how other people are irresponsible and need to be punished. No, I don't think that way. I have trouble 
truly forgiving other people? Mm, that's a good question. Let's see, I have trouble truly forgiving people. Yeah, I think that's true. People say I hold grudges. I don't know if people would say it, but I think it's true. <laughs> okay, maybe I should just say that. Um, okay, I beat myself up for the mistakes I've made. Yes. Okay, so it seems like you have this one kind of as well. Not, yeah. Not entirely. Uh, tell me about what this one's like. Oh, um, you know, there was this uh, this American Life, you know that show on uh, NPR? Yeah, I love it. They did a, yeah, it's a good show. They did a one years ago on cringe moments. These are these memories you have where you just think back and you just go, ugh, I can't believe I fill in the blank. I have a lot of those. And they can... They, could, they sort of feel like attacks, like mental attacks, because when they come on me, I'm like, oh, my God, I fucking did that, and I cringe, and it's just, like, awful. And some of the things that I cringe about aren't even what anybody would call mistakes, but they're embarrassments to me, so. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, and those things haunt. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that I think that I react to might not be things that other people do. Right. Yeah. And yet, you and have yet, that sinking oof. cringe feeling. Yeah. Yeah. There are, th- there are a few things that pop into my head, too. And because I have this narcissism or self-esteem around, um, I use narcissism lightly. I know. But I also am, you know, somewhat pathologically um, narcissistic <laughs> um, and avoidant. And, you know, anyway. Sure. But the, um, uh, the sensitivities to cringe and punitiveness that I have mm. as a voice inside of me has to do with when I make a mistake that makes me look not smart. Yeah. Oh, really? Particularly not smart? Not smart, yeah. Wow. Um, like, I can be imperf- imperfect when it comes to fashion. I can be imperfect when it comes to cleanliness or something. But when it comes to my my cognitive powers, mm-hmm. it'll haunt me. So there's two things that I repeatedly think about that just pop into my head. Really? Yeah. One of them is I was teaching early on, like 20 years ago, and I was teaching a class uh, systems perspectives in, in family therapy that I didn't know that well, and I didn't feel that confident in. And I was lecturing to, you know, 16 students who were probably all older than me, and I'm trying to appear smart. As a, as a young professor, I really wanted to appear smart because oh, yeah. you want your professor to be smart. Yeah. You don't want your professor to be dumb. <laughs> you want them to know things. And I didn't feel particularly smart, so I was really trying to act smart. And I kept using this word, uh, permutation, which isn't a word. No. And I, I, I was, you know, da da da. Well, well, you know. So the permutation, and every time I said it, it didn't feel quite right to me. So this is back in I don't know the year two thousand when the internet wasn't what it is today. I went home after teaching the class and I, I Alta Vista'd it or, you know, what Yahoo'd it or whatever, because we didn't have Google back then. Right. Or at least it wasn't popular. And I type in permutation and there's like, there's no hits. Now, I, so I'm going to try it right now. Now, I bet you anything, if I Googled permutation, permutation, it says, did you mean permutation yeah. but back then there was nothing like that i remember googling it for you know maybe an hour trying to figure out like so clearly permutation isn't a word but i know there's a word like permutation that i'm i'm mixing it up with and the internet is not helping me <laughs> 
And and I was just like, okay, just stop using the word because stop study stop trying to use the word because you're not using it right, and you don't even know what word you're looking for. Ten years later, somehow I figured out, oh, permutation, permutation, permutation. Mm-hmm. That one event in that one class oh, where I man. probably said permutation three times oh, 20 geez. years ago wow. still, still haunts me. Fuck. And half the class probably didn't even notice it because I wasn't going permutation. I was, yeah. I was going, you know, so there's a lot of permutations of that and probably people thought, he, it sounds like he's saying that word a little funny, yeah. whatever. I'm, I'm positive. Yeah. No it's one not rem- going to stick in anybody's brain. No one remembers it. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it it I just get cringes oh, you know, thinking like that I was standing in front of students trying to act smart and I was saying these like words <laughs> that didn't make any sense. Um, the other uh, cringe thing uh, has to do with when Sarah Palin was running for vice president. Oh, she made you cringe. So this would have been two thousand eight. She made a lot of us cringe. Yeah, uh, her and. Um, John McCain. John McCain. Yeah. Rest in peace. uh, They were running for office, and there was tons of – this is, again, when the internet was just kind of getting into its its zone that it Mm -hmm. is now. And I saw a picture on the internet of Sarah Palin in a red, white, and blue bikini holding a bunch of, like, guns, like assault rifles – and she's standing next to a pool. And I saw this picture. Do you remember this picture? No. It was it was kind of a famous uh, viral picture that went around the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what a typical picture of Sarah Palin. She's sitting there in her red, white, and blue bikini. And I knew that she was a beauty pageant queen. Right. And so uh, I was like, you know, and then she's standing there with her, AK-47s and her, you know, whatever, AR-15s. And uh, later on, I was with my family, and I said we were at dinner or something, and we were talking about politics, and somehow, and I was like, yeah, you know that picture of Sarah Palin in that bikini with those guns or something like that? And my cousin kind of said quietly to me, he's like, I think that's Photoshopped. (laughs) And in that moment, I just thought, oh, my God, Kirk, really? <laughs> you saw a picture on the internet. Clearly that picture should have raised some red flags. Because, mm-hmm. And I'm a classic skeptic. Like when I see stuff on the internet, I'm like, mm, until you really show me that that's real. Right. Um, and because I, I announced at, at dinner. Oh, right. You know, Very public. Yeah. And then my cousin's like, uh, I think that, I think that was Photoshop. <laughs> And then instantly just like, of course it was Photoshopped. What are you talking about? Uh, and again, that was, what, 11 years ago. Mortifying. And every uh-huh. every week that sort of just pops oh, into my head. Oh, even now, every week? Yeah. You have that terrible cringe? Yeah. And oh, I don't even yeah. know, as I tell the story out loud, I don't even know if that's actually what happened. Do you know? Like, it could have been a completely different story. Um, what are your cringe pop-ups? Oh, God, let's see. Um, you know, it's funny. When they happen, they're so apparent to me, but now that I have to think of one. Um, cringe, 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 cringe. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Really? And I'm not allowed to go um too long. In well, that's good. 
I I um I can't remember. Well, if one pops in your head, let me know. Okay. So this schema punitiveness has to do with this notion of people need to be punished. Yeah. So we grow up with a need to feel accepted, with a need to feel like we're okay, we're good enough, we're we're competent at things enough, we're loved. It's okay to make mistakes. Maybe that's the big thing. Yeah. Is People make mistakes sometimes. That's a fact. Yeah. And sometimes people even, in some ways, maliciously make mistakes. Like <clears throat> like uh, you're on the road and you signal and you get over and someone doesn't like how close you were to their car. And they honk at you and they pull up next to you and they flip you off. And that's not a mistake so much as... They're freaking out. Yeah. And so we all have a need to understand that it's okay when I make mistakes. It's okay when other people make mistakes. And and when we're punished too harshly, either emotionally or some other way, growing up, or we see other people being punished mm-hmm. very harshly, yeah, we learn, oh, when you make mistakes, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, people get punished, and they should get punished. Um Others, myself, and so th- this schema has to do with not only self but other people. So we develop this notion of like, when people make mistakes, they need to be swiftly and severely punished. Now, when we're raised in a healthy way, we have what we would say a healthy uh, gauge of how much punishment people need. Like, you know, someone murders someone. You know, most of us have an internal sense of like, well, that person shouldn't get away with it. Oh, yeah. They should be punished. Somehow or other. Yeah. Um, or I, uh, in you know, with my wife wasn't very, I didn't listen very well to her as she was telling me that story five minutes ago. Um, I deserve to feel like shit right now and mm-hmm. I should do something about it. There, there's some accountability. We all have a, you know, internal sense. Like a moral compass. But when we're punished too much or we see too much punishment, then we have a, a different skew. So it sounds like to you, you went through that growing up mm-hmm. and have not an extreme version of the schema, but a little bit in the schema. And it manifests as beating yourself up. Yeah, that's mostly me. Um, and not so much about making sure other people are accountable no. for, for what they do. And, I don't get too bent. I don't, that does not torque me the way my own mistakes do. But you do hold some grudges. Some, yeah. On the inside. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. I think I hold grudges because I'm afraid of um, vulnerability and I'm afraid of expressing need for mm, recognition or something if I feel like someone done me wrong. And so the grudge is sort of the safe way to protect without having to be vulnerable. Like without having to say to somebody, you know, this isn't okay, because um, that that feels really vulnerable. Like if you tell somebody that they've done something okay, you're really asking for it. You're gonna get it. Like they're gonna attack. So it's safer to hold a grudge and culture alter it. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, do you have this schema manifest in other ways? Like, um, let me see some of these sentences here. Yeah. Um, if I make a mistake, I deserve to be punished. That does manifest depending on the mistake I make. Yeah. If I think the mistake I make influences, excuse me, affects other people, particularly people that are important to me, 
um, I will I will lay down on the railroad tracks and hope the train to come. Tell me about that. Uh, once I was on a research study and I was working. Um, I was doing this research study, and uh, I did something that the principal investigator did not like. And I remember just being very, very apologetic, and she was just not having it. She was just, like, ignoring my apology. And the more she ignored it, the more I kept saying, I'm really sorry about this. I, I really, you know. And the thing that I did, as I look back on it, it's like, it's not that big a deal. She was being kind of a jerk. Right. Like, and I get it. It's her thing. And it's like, you know, whatever. But, um, um, you know, I didn't really do anything that was all that, all that terrible. Certainly Did you gonna... feel like you deserved oh, yeah. to be yeah. felt, you deserved her mirth, her, 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 actually her ire and her, her, her wrath. <laughs> like, I deserve it. Yeah. Like, oh man, I, I fucked up. Yeah. You know, again, most of us have that sense of like, um, I'm trying to think of a situation in normal everyday life. Oh, you get a ticket. Well, like, like for example, early on in my career, back before computers at agencies, I was really behind in my paperwork. Mm -hmm. And I was told repeatedly, you cannot bring client files out of the agency. This is when you had actual physical files. right. And I was so behind in my paperwork and I hated being at the office because you had to write these progress notes that I actually uh, started bringing files home with me on the weekends. Right. And I just, I loved it because I was like, I could sit home, kind of luxuriate, really spend some time uh, catching up on, on my paperwork. Right. Well, then one weekend, one of my clients was in quote unquote crisis. She called the agency. They looked for her file. They couldn't find it. And they were freaking out and they didn't know what to do. Sure. It's like a violation. Like, we don't, we can't even find your file, man. Right. We don't. And then, um, somehow they called again, this is before cell phones or anything. So they had to call like my landline. Eventually they get a hold of me and it had been like, you know, 24 hours since they had first encountered the situation. And I was like, it's for a split second. I thought I could lie. And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, you just have to admit. Yeah. And I said, well, actually I'm really sorry, but I brought home a bunch of files and that was one of the files. And, you know, it was like stunned silence and yeah. terror. I get back to the agency and I bring the files in and I go to the executive director and I was, I was, cause I had prepared on the drive down. It's, it's a long drive from Seattle to federal way. Right. It's like 45 minutes. Right. I get down there and I'm like, or really all weekend. I've been thinking about it. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I take full responsibility. I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to fire me, you can go ahead and do that. Or I don't know, do something to me. And cause I deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I knew I shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. There were other ways I could have rectified the situation. I don't have any excuse. Um, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to say. Yeah. And the executive director, she, I, she didn't say anything back to me mm-hmm. and then it was never an issue ever again. And I, and I always wondered, it's like, I wonder if I just, cause I took so much responsibility that she didn't have anything more to say. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't, there was no argument to be had or something. And, and it, and it just sort of ended. And actually a similar situation happened. At, this is another sort of cringeworthy moment in my life early mm-hmm. in my career. I didn't make a CPS call oh. and I won't go into all the details, but um, I had made a call, a decision, a judgment that, the CPS call didn't need to be made. And 
but that's not a judgment call we have the right to make as yeah. clinicians. It's it's by law. Yeah. It's mandated reporting. It doesn't say mandated reporting unless you think it's probably not necessary. Right. It's like, nope, you need to make all calls. And it was a mistake. And I was giving it a countertransference and whatnot. But and then CPS found out and there was this angry parent about the whole thing. And it was a whole I thought I was going to lose my license. I had no idea. Oh, wow, scary. Um, but I took to- full responsibility to CPS. I said, yes, totally my fault. I. I'm I'm really sorry, and I I couldn't sleep at night. And then CPS said, "Okay, don't do it again." Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they said that. I think they're just like, "Oh, okay." Um, and uh, and I'm still a therapist today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so in those situations, I'm like, I deserve to be punished. Mm-hmm. If I get fired for this, it makes sense. Yeah. So all of us have like a general sense of like, yeah, uh, what's fair, yeah, in terms of being punished, right. When you're punished too much, then your gauge of of what's normal and fair gets uh, gets off kilter. Yeah. And so for you, since you were punished way too much and too harshly for little things, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, you have a gauge of just like, well, me and when I when I make a little mistake, yeah, I deserve to be massively yeah. punished. Yeah. And, uh. And so you're falling on your sword yeah. with this woman at the DBT at the, research project yeah. over a situation that when you look back on it, you're like, I, I didn't deserve to fall on a sword. Yeah. No. I made a tiny, did you even make a mistake? Um, no, I didn't actually make a mistake. Um, I you just made a mistake in her eyes. In her eyes, it was a mistake, and it was important to her that things go a certain way, but it isn't something that she said out loud or explicitly. And I think it's a, something that she assumed would go a certain way, and I assumed it would go some other way based on my experience and um, did what I thought was the right thing to do. And um, it turned out she didn't like that. She wanted it to go this other way. Right. So, you know, easy to rectify. It only happened the once, so I rectified it. Um, but it isn't really a mistake, it's just like, you know, like um, 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 failure of communication. I don't like saying it that way. It's like her worldview didn't translate to mine. Misunderstanding. Yeah. Of the landscape or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, uh, in fairness would dictate that you would go to her and say, so I think I made a mistake in your eyes. Yeah. And I think it's because I didn't really understand... What, what you want. Yeah, what your expectations were. Right. And if anyone made a mistake, it's kind of you because you're in charge. Yeah, it's your it's your study, so. And I was trying to please you. And, right. you know, if you're upset, I just want to say it's kind of your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the fair thing to do. That's what a fair thing to do. But when you have a schema yeah. of punitiveness and, you know, when we, you know, we must all or I must be held responsible for mistakes I made regardless right. of fairness. Right. Um, then you just kind of see the world that way because right. that's what you were taught. Right. And so ways of coping with that are to, one, surrender yeah. by punishing the self yeah. or punishing others. It sounds like you don't have that one. No. But you have a punish of the self mm-hmm. of just like when you make a mistake, assume you did something horrible. Yeah. Don't even evaluate the fairness and right. fall on your sword. Yeah. Because if you don't – so and the whole thing, it all comes back to getting your needs met. Yeah. If I don't do that at the age of five, six, seven, then and I if, if I stop to think about fairness, if I assert my side of things, oh hell no, I'm gonna get 
I'm going to get beat. Yeah. I'm going to get rejected. Yeah. I'm going to get abandoned. Mm. So I need to have a schema, a personality trait that just sort of kicks in automatically. Right. It's pervasive right. throughout my personality that automatically kicks in that just says, uh, don't, you know, don't stop at go. Yeah. Don't stop at evaluation. Don't stop at, um, is this fair? Just assume that yeah. you need to be punished because things will go better for you if if, if. you just assume yeah. that when you make a mistake in someone else's eyes, you you deserve to be punished. Yeah. Because two things happen. If, if you stop to evaluate if it's fair, then one, at the very least on the inside, you're going to be like, this is not fair. Right. So if you're going to get punished anyway, there are two scenarios. One is... I get punished severely for having made a mistake in someone else's eyes, and I now have to live with the fact that I also know I didn't deserve it. Uh-huh. So those are two bad things. I got punished harshly, and this is unfair. Right. Scenario number two, you don't stop to think about if it's fair enough. You get punished severely, mm-hmm. but you don't have the thought that you don't deserve it. No. So you just have the negative experience of being punished but you don't have the additional negative experience of like, wait, this is unfair. Yeah. Um, so that's why the body and mind turns off certain aspects of cognitive evaluation. Nicely put. How do I feel about this? Is this fair? Yeah. Is, is my father a good human being? Mm. Does my father love me? If you don't stop to think about those things... And they, they don't even register. Your, your, your mind just says, you need to stop thinking about that. Yeah. Because when you do, you have this additional bad thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who are raised in a more, in a not a non-abusive, more nurturing environment, they're allowed to retain those connections of like, wait, is this fair? Mm-hmm. Because it actually benefits them to, uh, to have that mechanism that kicks in. So in this moment, when this person was being a jerk to you, it didn't, it didn't even occur to you to no. think, wait, is this fair? Is this fair? The no. only, it's just, don't stop and go. Go straight to, I need to be punished. Yeah. And, th- and that's what you did. Right. That's exactly what I did. Um, other ways of coping maladaptively through avoidance is to avoid others and avoid situations that involve judgment or punishment. Mm-hmm. I do that. How do you do that? Uh, I don't make waves. I keep my mouth shut. I don't say things that are upsetting. Uh, I don't, I go with the flow. I say I'm going with the flow, but really what I'm doing is avoiding conflict. I avoid conflict quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah. Like what kind of situations crop up for you? I play both sides of the fence. I have done that. It's really a bad idea. So Colleen's upset about something that um, happened with a friend of ours a long, long time ago. Um, And, I'm like, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yep, 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 yep. And then I'm hanging out with the friend and I'm, um, they're describing, you know, blah, 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 their side of things. And they're putting me on. I'm like, yep, 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 makes sense. And I'm like the perfect yes man, right? And she heard me. Colleen heard me saying that um, and got really pissed off at me. And she's like, you talk out of both sides of your mouth. This is just bullshit. And I'm like, what, 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 me? No, no, I... You know, but of course it was true. I actually was. I refused to take a stand and I refused to um, protect her um, and refused to see the merits in her point um, in front of 
our friend. And um, it's just like completely just, just, you know, conflict avoidance, just being a willow in the wind. It's like it blows this way, so I blow with it. It blows that way, I blow with it. I just blow. And your part of that is that you're worried about being punished if you oppose or... Yeah, punished by the other person's ire upset with me. You know, don't don't piss anybody off. Don't don't make waves. Don't, right? Yeah, don't have a presence. Don't have a a self really uh. that has a point of view that could say to anybody really. Well, no, I don't actually agree with you about that. You know, yeah. it could even be her. Yeah, but it didn't turn out to be that time her. I actually did agree with her. Yeah, um, we had a different take on it, a slightly different take on it because to me it wasn't as big a deal as it was to her. Something was important to her. Um. And I could be honest. I could be honest with that, or I could just say yes, yes, yep, yep, yep. Whatever you say, yep. Which is kind of what I, what I, what I did. Yeah. Not so cool. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the universe. It's certainly worse, but um, you know, it's like you don't really exist. Yeah. And I think that's a problem for me personally. That it's hard to recognize. Mm. Yeah. I think I might have gone on a little tangent. No, I? no, I make mean, uh, totally in line. So that's the. Um, demonst- so you're demonstrating that uh, and that's what's I think great about schema therapy is that the way they language it yeah. it they it, it's a very distinct language around shooting yourself in the foot in that because uh, a lot of times you just sort of end there it's just like well I don't I don't like conflict I avoid conflict right but what schema therapy says right. is like that's that's maladaptive, mm-hmm. and it's actually creating problems for you. Right. And if we go back to the original need that you need be, to be met, then it then we can sort of like figure out a way in the short term and the long term in right. terms of like you can actually get everything you want out of the situation. Right. You can one not be punished harshly. Right. You can two have a self and mm-hmm. assert your own needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, three other people get the benefit of you being in the room right. and not being betrayed by you when they hear you talking out of the other side of your mouth. Right. And if, but you have to understand that it, it, it all goes back to this original need that right. was not met. And right. the way you see the world is like in response to that old life yeah, and isn't actually applicable to your current life. No. So when you're sitting there, it's like, you're like this conflict between these two people. You're thinking, if I turn on the self in this instance, something very horrible is going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. But in reality, that's not true. And in fact, not only is it not true, by being very careful about it, you actually create the original punitiveness yeah. where Colleen comes at you and, right. and punishes you. Right, right. So it's this weird thing where it, your effort to accommodate or yeah. to avoid something actually makes it so you actually experience yeah, yeah. it. It's like when we're abandoned as children and we have this abandonment schema and we're, we're like, everyone's going to abandon me eventually, but I still want people not to abandon me. Mm-hmm. And then you have a that schema and you grow up and you're 30 years old. And one of the ways you cope with that schema of just like, I think my partner's going to abandon me mm-hmm. is to be very hypervigilant about are they abandoning me or, right. you know, what, what's happening here? And so you have this need and you deserve to not be abandoned. And you're like, um, he hasn't texted me back or, uh, she's late for work. Or she, I asked her that question and she didn't really respond very quickly to me. Mm-hmm. Or 
I made a suggestion to her about, you know, something that she should do, and she didn't seem to really accept it. And, oh, my God, I need to do something to make sure that she doesn't abandon me. And I, I need to say, hey, you know, what's going on? And why, why are you treating me this way? You know, let's, let's be close. And over time, what happens if it gets a little yeah. out, of, you know, out of control, the other person is, it gets annoyed, and then they do abandon you. Yeah, they, yeah they're, they're put off. Yeah, they're like, especially if you're accusatory. Right. Like, you know, you're always late. You right. never open up. You may, you always make me feel like shit. You're yeah. such a you're such a cold person. Right. Um, this is going to push someone away, and they're going to abandon you. They're going to leave you. Right. And so the compensation effort is in response to the schema, not to the situation. Right. And if you can learn that, you can subvert that at least in the short term by saying, okay, I, I need even though I feel like that instance was an abandonment uh, situation. I need to tell, I need to look at that and go, you know, the fact that he didn't text me back while he's at, uh, at work doesn't mean he's cheating on me and that he's going to abandon me. I need to remind myself of that. So I don't give in to that urge. And then I need to heal from that abandonment and have secure attachments so that, that I'd no longer have that fuel of, worry of abandonment so right. it so the urge doesn't pop up um, when you understand that full process then you have a way out of the repetitive relationship issues it doesn't make it easy it's not no. like it's you know lickety split but it, it gives a roadmap anyway. roadmap yeah yeah right um, the other overcompensation for punitiveness is to be very forgiving but to be secretly resentful oh yeah you do that uh-huh how I do you have- do that um, well, by doing that, by being forgiving on the outside and resenting on the inside. I don't think it's a frequent flyer for me, but it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had a fun, a really interesting thing happen last week at bowling, mm-hmm. Monday Night League, right? So the other team went out for a smoke break, which, you know, wouldn't really be a big deal to me, except they took literally 20 minutes. 20 minutes at nine at night, you know, and I like bowling and it's great to be there, but I don't want to bowl till 11. So they're out and they're on a smoke break and they come back in and I said something to, uh, actually only one of them came back in, three of them were still out there. And I said something like, you know, like, I don't even remember what I said, something about, you know, wanting their team to come back so we could actually start the game. And the lady got really defensive and was saying, you know, like how, you know, they just, they're here for fun and you know, they, they shouldn't have to, you know, you know, like show up and it's not a big deal and we're being really uptight and, and I listened to her, and while I was listening to her, I was thinking, all right, so your point of view is this is just here for fun. You said this out loud? No, I'm thinking oh. – well, actually, I did, what I said out loud is, you know, I really hear what you're saying, and I get I get that your your position is really important to you, and, and that you, that's how you see it. And I also think that so is mine. Mine's important to me, and this is how I see it. And you don't seem to see any merit in my position that I, you know, want to keep going here. What would she say? She said, you guys drink too much. <laughs> she said a lot of things. She got really defensive and she's like, well, we smoke and you don't like people who smoke, but you drink and we don't like people, you know, that kind of thing. It was, like, it was really kind of bizarre. So my whole team got involved because um, they were equally annoyed. Cause Who's he, on your team? Uh, Glenn. S- Sparky? Sparky. No, no, no. He he left years ago. Oh, uh, Glenn. Uh, I think the people on my team are people that you know. Glenn oh. and Keecha, you probably know them a little yeah. bit. 
and then this guy John and this guy Ron, who are Glenn's friends from where where he used to work. Okay. So nice guys, and um, uh, equally annoyed, and so. Um, we we were letting the lady know because the rest of the team was still out there smoking that we didn't really like how this was going and that we didn't think it was fair and we actually let the league pre- president know and he came up to them when they all came back he came up to us it's like look when it's your turn it's your turn we don't really do that here so you got a bowl and they were like arguing with him about that and so Glenn said let's just leave and I would have in the past I've been like oh no we can't leave because we'll really upset them and they won't like it and I'm like, okay, you want to leave. I'm okay with that. And I don't need these people to like it. And it still feels a little anxious to me. Like, we're going to have to see them next week whenever we go. Uh, we don't necessarily have to bowl against them for a while. Uh, we don't actually bowl against them at all. My other, The other guy, John, said, why don't we just bowl ahead of time if we're rolling against them? That way we don't have to roll with them and we don't have to sweat any of this and we don't have to be around them. Um, and this just seemed like a perfectly legit thing to do. The The point is that I felt my own ego strength. Like... Oh, yeah, we're leaving. We're going to leave. This is a way for us to let them know we don't like this. And it's really assertive. And it's not it's not particularly aggressive. And it's also not just like me pretending that this is okay. It isn't okay with me. I actually don't want to spend my evening waiting right. for them to show up and criticize me because I had a whiskey. Right. Yeah. You drink too much. Like, what was the, like... I don't fucking know. It came out of nowhere. Like... As if you're drunkenly falling over or... She didn't seem to have any any opinion about our behavior, just the fact that we were drinking and that they hadn't commented on that. I don't know. Maybe she's uh, got a history of alcoholism and she's watches people, counts people's drinks. I have no idea. That was the only thing I could think is like she's counting our drinks or something. But um, it seemed like it was just the nearest thing she could grab to defend and say, well, yeah, you do it too, whatever yeah. it is. and. Yeah, I, I really don't understand this about people. I mean, I suppose if we're going to look f- through schema lens, it's like yeah. what schema is kicking in there for her when someone criticizes her? Yeah, exactly. Um, is it some kind of self-protectiveness around, well, if I allow this to occur, I'm going to be punished or abandoned or something. So I have to defend myself by pa- saying, yeah. uh, no, 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 you're wrong. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. Right. I need I need everyone to understand I did nothing wrong. Right. And uh, so that's, you know, something along those something lines. Something like that. Um, having said that, I think there's also a cultural trend that we have this um, this cultural notion, and I think it's been around for a long time, that when someone in public accuses you of something, mm-hmm. that you, ha- you have to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Like... You cannot just accept that. Yeah, it's it like on the road. Getting back to that example, right? When someone, uh, when like let's say, and this happens all the time. Like, let's say you are getting over and you don't see someone in your blind spot. Yeah, and you almost hit them. Right, and you're like, oh my god, I almost hit that person. Right, and then they pull up next to you and they flip you off. Right, there's this natural. In, uh, inclination to flip them back off too. Right. Somehow meet the force with equal force. Right. Uh, instead of saying, I am so sorry. Yeah, I did it. I didn't see you. Yeah. How often does that happen? I don't know. Plus, we need a way of communicating that. Like, um, there needs to be like another way because how do you how do you communicate that? The universal hand signal. I think you do it by like doing like this. Like, 
Yeah. You kind of duck. You turn. You, you you nod your head down and you put your hands up. But you're driving. Well, you don't do it for very long. Yeah. So, uh, I wish there was just some kind of sign on the top of the car. You could just press a button. It would say like, "Sorry." You yeah. Know, my, yeah, that'd be great. Bad, you know. Yeah. Because uh, then the person wouldn't even feel nece- the need to actually flip right. me off. But I think there's this cultural notion of just yeah. like, uh, because I don't consider myself a particularly defensive person, but yeah. there are situations when I'm in public when I feel that urge because I feel like, well, this is what you're supposed to do. It's like you're embarrassed or something or, you know, like you've been publicly affronted but, somehow. But I don't see there's things that I'm. Like I said about like being smart, I, I, I'm, I'm very sensitive about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But there's a lot of things where I'm just like, yeah, I'm kind of a bumbling fool sometimes. <laughs> Not like any more than anyone else, but, you know, I'm, I'm giving it my best shot. Yeah. And boy, did I just fuck that up. Mm-hmm. Like to give <laughs> – this is actually – so I, I'm at Beth's. Oh, yeah. Have I told you about this? Beth's Cafe? Yeah. Yeah. Have I told you about this event? You might have. Yeah. Is it recent? I'll, I'll give a watered-down version of it. All right. So I'm with my friends. We're at um, Beth's, which is this 24... It's this famous yeah. diner in Seattle. Yeah. And my, my dad actually would go there in no. the 60s and 70s, and they had the 12-egg omelet back then. Did they still have that? They still have it? Yeah, 12-egg yeah. oh egg omelet with a full, humongous thing of hash browns. Oh, so good. And, uh, and toast and everything. Well, yeah. And anyway, so... And one of his friends ate two of them. Oh, my God. And the hash browns and everything. Yeah. Uh, very famous story. But uh, it's a very famous um, uh, diner in Seattle. If you ever get to Seattle, go to Beth, especially at 3 in the morning, which, yeah. is, which is where my story resides. 3 in the morning, 3 or 4 in the morning, you know, late night, we're at Beth's um, after my band played, actually, at a, at a bar. Right. And... Um, you know, we're talking, everyone's, t- you know, there's a jukebox, everyone's talking loud and we're talking loud and we're, um, getting up, we're paying our check, we're getting up and these two young women turn to us, mainly to me and says, says, maybe it's just cause I had eye contact with them. I don't know, but they're just like, um, you guys, I can't remember what they said, but they were livid. Yeah. These two young women, they were just like. I can't believe how loud you guys have been talking this whole time. <laughs> Do you understand that other people are in this, you know, restaurant with you? Yeah. And again, context, it's Beth's. It's three or four in the morning. This is supposed to be one of the most rambunctious places yeah. in Seattle on a Friday night, Saturday night at four in the morning. Right. You, know, you don't go to Beth's to have like a calm, relaxing, yeah. clean experience. It's kind of a dirty place. Yeah. But... Having said that, I immediately was mortified. Oh. I was like, oh, my God, we were probably talking loud. Uh-huh. And if they were being quiet sitting right next to us, they probably heard everything. In fact, when we first sat down, there was no one sitting next to us. And so I, I think I don't even think I noticed that they sat. Probably not. And as soon as she started yelling at me, I was just like, or us. Yeah. I And the rest of my friends just kind of skedaddled because they, they were just like trying to avoid it. But immediately I was just like, oh, my God, I am so sorry. Yeah. Because I've been there before. Yeah. You're just kind of like, it's oh, annoying. my God, those people are loud. Yeah. Like, shut sure. up. Who doesn't know that experience? Yeah. Like, God, keep yeah. it down. Right. Context, inside voices. Yeah, right. So I was immediately mortified and I, I immediately apologized. And I was just like, oh, my God, I am so sorry. Wow. And I said, um, 
what were we taught? And immediately I started going back in my mind of like, what were we even talking about that they were listening to? Because I felt like it's a private conversation. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, what were, we, and I even said to her, I was like, what, what were we talking about? You know, cause I'm, I'm worried now, not only that we were loud, but yeah. the content of this was awful. Right. And the two of them, now the other one starts chiming in and starts yelling at me. And they're more angry at me now. Wow. More angry. More angry. Having apologized, they're more angry. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, maybe they didn't hear me. So I really doubled down. I'm like, let me be clear. I am very sorry. Like I didn't, if I knew that you could hear anything that we were talking about, I would not have, I I would have said, I would have said, everyone shut up or either stop talking. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. Then they get more angry at me. Oh, man, that's weird. And I'm like, well, hold on a second here. I'm a, I guess I understand if you have a few more things to say, but why are you more angry yeah. now that I've apologized? Yeah. Now now I'm getting a little annoyed. Sure. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Like, is this just an excuse for you to yell at some, yeah. some old guys? Right, like, right. Like, calm down. It, it, it was bothersome. You yeah. made your point. Yeah. And I apologized twice honestly yeah and authentically sincerely yeah and now what's going on right and they never let up they never said like we accept your apology or Trippy. anything and so i saw so it i just i guess i'm gonna leave and so i stand up to leave one of my friends um and i won't say his name because people know him on the podcast um said that as we were leaving he he, he flipped them off and they flipped him off um <laughs> And, and I'm just like, oh, why'd you have to do that? Because mm. we were talking about punitiveness. Anyway, getting back to your story. Sure. So you can be overly forgiving, but then secretly resentful. Yeah, that's true. I, I can do that. Okay. I think it's just, like I said, just um, anxiousness with being open and vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And the where that comes from is if I don't fall on my sword, right. then, then bad things are going to happen. Bad things. Like really bad things, right? So I'm, I might as well sacrifice myself sure. now, and maybe I'll salvage a, a little yeah. bit of some safety later on. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the end of that. Um, in the last couple of minutes here, Bob, um, how has this felt? This this discussion of the last six schemas. It's felt fine. I mean, actually, it's really interesting. And I keep, I've keep i been thinking about you a lot the last couple of weeks, and I keep meaning to email you, can you send me this information here? Because it would help me at work uh-huh. to have a summary of you know schema types so I can kind of um, target better mm. uh, what, what the things that my clients are struggling with or working with. Um, By the way, I'm working on that because a lot of listeners have been asking the same thing. Oh, great. Well, put me in line. And part of it is to do this first is to – because – you want to flesh it out a bit yeah. and... I want to have a little bit of like some profiles or something. And right, right. Anyway, so this was really good. I, I found it interesting and um, artic- it's like articulating. It's like uh, what I know to be true that I don't have words for. You know, does that like help at all? Yeah. I mean, does it help? I mean, you've been in a lot of yeah, therapy. I think so. so. I think it does help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do, have you done any, just, you don't have to, but mm-hmm. in the past few weeks, because since the last time we talked, have you done anything along these lines of just like, oh, there's that schema or there's that maladaptive coping? Or No, I can't say that I have, but uh, I think what I'd like is to have them um, fresher in my noodle so that the, I got a shot at that shit coming up. Because that stuff, because the needs things happens all the time. The schemas get activated all the time. Right. You know, insecurity and all. Um. So having a way to um, 
think about it. Uh, I don't. I'm not saying that uh, cognitive knowledge will overpower you know my insecurities. It won't. But um, um, being able to name a thing is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we were to concretize one thing, what among the things have we talked about seems the most useful to sort of try to practice in terms of your awareness? It would have been something from the first from the first go around with this. The the abandonment. Yeah, the abandonment stuff. Mistrust. I think that's, that's the stuff that's bigger for me. Yeah. But quite frankly, it was so long ago that we did that that I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was things like, you know, what I was talking about earlier in terms of, uh, and you're well aware of this stuff because you've thought about it a lot yourself already, but it's just a different way of thinking about it in right. terms of like, like you've talked about before how with Colleen, your wife, um, something will happen and you'll feel like, uh-oh, uh, I, I need to pull away yeah. or I need to criticize oh, or yeah. or I need to I need to be something. something. And then if we back that up or look deeper, it's like, okay, something about this is triggering my abandonment schema. Right. Or, or my rejection schema or something. And that's making... Uh, and the reason why I'm even seeing it through that as an abandonment situation is because I have this personality schema that says by opposing me or by conflict or whatever, that means you're going to abandon me. Right. And uh, then I kick in my compensation, um, maladaptive coping of criticizing or Mm -hmm. getting angry Mm -hmm. and if I can just remember in the moment that that's what's happening and I can say, okay, well, underneath that is the need. And so I need to, I need to feel accepted. I need to feel loved. I need to feel uh, safe yeah. and secure and loved. Uh, and that's what's leading to all this string of events that's happening afterwards that ends with me being angry and actually pushing someone away and feeling like shit. Yeah. Uh, so if I can immediately see, ooh, I must in this moment need love and acceptance. How can I get that? How can I, how can I have a direct road to that rather than trying to do it passively by getting angry yeah. in the hopes that she will notice so that she will love me and take care of me. Right, which really how, works. How can I go directly to, um, which essentially is EFT, but well, yeah. um, I don't know. Does, is that, would that help to yeah, think about? That's the point. I think yeah. I, I really believe that's the main point. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I imagine, uh, you tell me what you think, but I imagine with enough familiarity and then enough with practice with that, um, a person can get both faster at recognizing, oh, this is that thing that I do, and perhaps more directly experiencing, oh, this is that insecurity that I feel. Like, this isn't the time to turn away. This is the time to move in. This is the time to be open. This is the time to um, connect with and be soft. Right. Yeah. And uh, acknowledging of my own needs. Yeah, right. And getting those met. Right. You know, because I think a lot of times what maybe even some therapy is involved is like you need to stop accusing people of things. You're, you're accusing people of things that are unfair and it's pushing people away. Stop that. Right. Which schema therapy has some of that. But yeah. the bigger point is well, the reason why you're doing that is because there's a need that's not being met. So how can you get that need met? Yeah. Go for the need. Yeah. And then if, you know, if you can also not be a dick to people, then that's probably good too. 
Um, but the main thing is... Yeah, the behavior is fairly superficial. Yeah. It's it's the driving, the thing that drives the behavior that's probably where you get the most bang for your buck. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the nice thing about this integrative therapy is that it has CBT kind of language and yeah. CBT sensibilities, mm-hmm. which appeals to a lot of people. But it also acknowledges basically the subconscious mm-hmm. and needs. Mm-hmm. You know, CFT doesn't necessarily recognize, recognize needs. No. And uh, so it involves that and it also incorporates gestalt in that it says that, you know, we have different modes, we have different sort of positions that we get into and we we have more severe rigid modes when we need to have, when we feel like the need to have those. Right. And recognizing that and but valuing that as in gestalt therapy, you know, internal family systems does. It's like that mode, although it's self-destructive, has a good side to it. There's something right. good about it. It's right. trying to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, it's, not, it's not pathologizing. Right. Yeah. And so what you, if you can learn from that and incorporate that, integrate yeah. the good parts of that into your overall personality while soothing whatever that side of you is reacting to, uh, oh, you know, is is too much, shall we say? Um, then you can be a, you can have all the parts of yourself working well together, right? You know, because yeah. sometimes you need to tell people to fuck off. Absolutely, everybody needs a bodyguard. Yeah, everyone needs a bodyguard, and that that's okay. Yeah, it's just if it's triggered too easily right. and overreactive, that's when that's when you cause you don't get your needs met anyway. Right. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Uh, thanks for j- joining me, Bob. As usual, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm sure your authenticity and your vulnerability will help other people to feel normal. I hope so. They deserve that. Absolutely. And please take care of yourself because... You deserve that too. <laughs> <laughs>